0: Well, good morning, One Church. What's up? My name is Carlo. I get to be one of the teaching pastors here. I'm glad that you are here and excited. We are in part four of our Arrested series. We are coming to the end, not only of our Arrested series, but if you've noticed, we've been in a long journey through the book of Acts, going all the way back to last year with our It Starts With One series. Uh, In a couple months, we'll finish up our time in the book of Acts. If you've missed any of those messages, want to go back and refresh yourself, let's quit playing. You don't remember two series ago, so go to onechurch.tv, listen to those series, especially those ones in Acts. I think you'll learn a lot from it. What we've tried to do is take a very dense history book. It's basically the history of the early church uh, and not only share some of the timeless truth that we can get out of that based on what happened many many years ago but 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 more than that give you something practical that you can use in your everyday life. So even though we're talking about a lot of weird names and old people and stuff that happened a long time ago, my prayer and Pastor Chris's prayer is that you have gotten some real practical things that you can take and use. We want to show you that the Bible is for us today and so that's why we've taken so much time to journey through the book of Acts. We'll be in Acts chapter 4 today Last week, we wrestled with the the idea of what do I do when I can't tell my friends from my enemies? And again, go to onechurch.tv to listen to that. Today, we're going to look at some lessons from religious people, crooks, and lawyers. Is that okay? We're going to look at the Apostle Paul on trial, and we're gonna see seven things we can learn from religious people, crooks, and lawyers by looking at what's happening in Paul's life in Acts chapter 24, and we'll get there in just a few seconds. Did you know that in the criminal justice system, the people are represented by two separate yet equally important groups? The police, the police who investigate crimes, and the district attorneys who prosecute the offenders. These are their stories, right? Any Law & Order fans in the house? Not me. No offense. Well, offense. C- crime dramas are are a little complicated for me, in that sometimes they hit a little too close to home. I haven't been a pastor my whole life. You know what I'm talking about. So, crime dramas, these crime shows, they're a little too close to home. I never watch Special Victims Unit, for example, because that stuff—that's just the worst of the worst and the most evil of the evil. And if you feel like I'm judging you right now, you are right. Uh, we, we talk to me in the hall. I'm just playing. Relax. Uh, but there's, you know, it's the same formula, right? Some terrible crime, and then a hunt for the perps, and then some arguing, and then they go to court, and the person's guilty or not guilty, and the who done it, and there's kind of that whole mystery in it. And then in the end, everything kind of gets a nice bow put on it, and in 44 minutes, someone's life-altering experience with the criminal justice system gets resolved in some way, right? Whether it's Law and Order, or Blue Bloods, or whatever Chicago, LA, New York-based crime show that you like to watch, right? It's all basically the same formula. And for some reason, we love it, right? We can't get enough. You guys went nuts. You amen harder for that Law & Order logo, some of y'all, than you did for Jesus's name, right? It's okay, this is a safe space. We're, we're friends here, right? You got fired up. Are we gonna show a clip? Like you guys got all excited about some, We love that stuff, right? We're, as we've learned, we're addicted to that drama, right? We love the drama, we love the, the, the mystery of it. But I think there's something about the hope of our mess getting resolved quickly that attracts us to those type of shows. The problem is life doesn't work like that. It really doesn't. There are no simple solutions to the problems of life. There are no simple solutions to the mess that you and I deal with on a day-to-day basis. Big drama is never resolved in 44 minutes. Never. It's never that simple. You might be here this morning, and life has you locked up. You came with a bunch of problems, a bunch of junk, a bunch of stress. You're trying to be hashtag for Clarksville, and life is hashtag for kicking your butt, right? I got the right people in the room today. Like, things aren't going. School's about to start back up. We're stressed out. We got so much to do, so little time to do it in, and it's just problem after problem after problem. If so, if if that's you, you know better than anyone, that life doesn't just resolve nicely and neatly with a punchline like a courtroom drama. However, there's one thing that's true, and, and I think it'll sustain you in the middle of your problem, and even when you're in the middle of your fight of your life, and like we're gonna see Paul, we're on trial for our life and everything is going wrong. This is a timeless truth that I think helps us, and if we can hold on to this, I don't think there's anything we're gonna face in this life that we won't be able to overcome, and it's our big idea today, and it's simple. God's presence is greater than your problems. God's presence is greater than your problems. This is not cliche. This is not a nice little church bumper sticker slogan that, that sounds fancy, but really means nothing. It's actually true. God's presence is greater than your problem. Now this is not to make light of your problems. Some of us here are really suffering and going through it. And this is not to make light of what you're going through. I've got problems too. I've got stuff too, but I know that Jesus plus nothing, equals everything. I have him, I have him with me. I know there's pretty much, there's nothing I'm gonna ever face that's gonna cause me to wanna to quit, it's gonna cause me to wanna to give up. And the reason some of these big ideas seem to be flowing together and seem similar is because we're in this season of life in Paul's life in the book of Acts where he is on trial for his life. He is in the fire. And what we don't wanna do as we look into the, the Bible for answers, for help, we don't wanna put some of these people on this pedestal and make them so out of touch with our reality that we can't get anything through it. The Bible says that all scripture was, is God breathed and it's useful written for us. And so in looking at Paul's problems, I hope that we can see some solutions and some answers to our own stuff. With God on our side, we cannot lose. We can win or we can learn, but we don't lose. So we're going to look at Acts chapter 24, see what Paul has gotten himself into this time. Uh, As we saw last week, God used Paul's enemies to put him on a path towards Rome, that's where he ultimately wanted to go to share Jesus with, with the Christians there and the people who hadn't heard Jesus yet in Rome. So God sends Paul on this path to Rome. And although Paul has a long way to go, from actually getting to Rome, things are starting to ramp up in his situation. So picture a courtroom scene this morning as we're reading this. Picture your episode of Law and Order or whatever it is, right? Maybe you can't picture ancient Near East courtroom, I get it, think about the OJ trial, right? Some trial of the century, it's on, there's courtroom, there's one side against another side, Paul kind of in the middle, having to give testimony for himself. He's basically being his own lawyer, standing up, speaking for himself, and his life actually hangs in the balance. And this is where we find Paul. So let's look at it. A lot of scripture we're going to go through today. Acts chapter 24, verse 1. It says, five days later, so this is five days after Paul almost gets beaten to death. If you were here last week, you remember that, right? Paul throws this gauntlet down, says, I'm here because of the resurrection. That starts a riot. The Pharisees, that's one party that really believed in the religious law. The Sadducees, they were kind of compromised and they like to play both sides against each other. They are fighting over Paul and about to rip him apart. And the Romans who hate everyone have to come in And save Paul. So Paul's friends became his enemies, and then his former enemies come in and become his friends and save him. If that sounds confusing, you can listen to last week's message and hopefully that'll make more sense. So, five days after all of that, here's what happens Ananias, the high priest, arrived with some of the Jewish elders and the lawyer Tertullus to present their case against Paul to who? the governor. So to present it to the person in charge. When Paul was called in, Tetulus presented the charges against Paul in the following address to the governor. So this is the prosecuting attorney presenting his case. He says it like this, you have provided a long period of peace for us Jews. And with foresight, you have enacted reforms for us. For all of this, your excellency, what a brown nose, right? This guy's sucking up. For all of this, your excellency, we are grateful for you, but I don't want to bore you. But he just bored him. Don't you hate when people say that, you know? Long story, I want to make this real quick. Anytime someone says real quick, hold on. It's going to be a long story. I don't want to bore you, me, including me, if I ever tell you that. Verse 4. I don't want to bore you. So please give me your attention for only a moment. We have found this man to be a troublemaker who is constantly stirring up what? Riots among the Jews all over the world. He's a ringleader of the cult known as the Nazarenes. Furthermore, he was trying to desecrate the temple when we arrested him. You can find out the truth of our accusations by examining him yourself. Verse 9 is key. Then the other Jews chimed in, declaring everything Tertullus said was true. Here's the first lesson we can learn from lawyers and crooks. You can always find someone to agree with you, even if you're wrong. You can always find someone to agree with you, even if you are dead wrong. Now, Again, I'm, re- I'm drawing back on some other sermons. So again, if you haven't listened to any of those, I encourage you to go back and listen to those other teachings in the book of Acts. But he's accused Paul of several things that we already know aren't true. He accused Paul of stirring up riots, but we know Paul didn't really stir up any of the riots. The other people stirred up the riots. Paul was just doing his thing. He says that Paul was desecrating the temple. We know a couple of weeks ago, that's not at all what Paul did when he went in there. Yet they're able to throw these accusations against Paul And more and more people are believing and agreeing. You can always find someone to agree with you, even if you are wrong. We know this from our internet culture, right? When things are going south in your life, when you feel offended, when you feel enraged, when you wanna justify your behavior, it's pretty easy to find someone to believe you, someone to agree with you, even when you're dead wrong. But here's the thing, just because a bunch of people or circumstances are in agreement it doesn't mean that they are correct. So Paul's adversaries, they had a bunch of bogus witnesses, liars who stepped up to attack him. And Paul's response is awesome because Paul knows that he is not alone. He's not by himself. Even though he's defending himself and even though there's this army of people against him, Paul knows that the presence of God with him is greater than his problem. Let's keep reading, verse 10. The governor then motioned for Paul to speak. Paul said, I know, sir, that you've been a judge of Jewish affairs for many years, so I gladly present my defense before you. You can quickly discover that I arrived in Jerusalem no more than 12 days ago to worship at the temple. My accusers never found me arguing with anyone in the temple, nor stirring up a riot in any synagogue or on the streets of the city. These men cannot prove the things they accuse me of doing. But I admit, I follow the way which they call a cult. I worship the God of our ancestors, and I firmly believe the Jewish law and everything written about the prophets. I have the same hope in God that these men have, that he will raise both the righteous and the unrighteous. What did Paul just do? He shifted the conversation to what? Once again, Paul's doing his jujitsu, and he's changing the nature of the argument. He comes out calm, cool, and collected, which is a bonus, because sometimes Paul just says, I hope God smacks you in the mouth, right? Like, sometimes Paul comes out with guns blazing. This time, he's a little more calm and cool and professional, and he says, here's the deal. They have a problem with me, because I believe that our God is gonna raise people from that he makes it again about the resurrection. Verse 16, because of this, I always try to maintain what? A clear conscience before God and all people. After several years away, I returned to Jerusalem with money to aid my people and to offer sacrifices to God. So this is a cool thing that Paul has done. Again, like last week, he de-escalates the conversation, he deescalates the argument, he keeps Jesus at the center, and then he gets right down to the point. He says, look, I wanna keep a clear conscience before God and men, therefore, I came to Jerusalem to serve. Second lesson we learn from this courtroom drama. Don't let your religion overpower your serve. Don't let your religion overpower your serve. Paul knew that God's presence was bigger than his problems, and so Paul kept it Jesus. He didn't fall back on his piety as a Pharisee, and he didn't fall back on religious words and fancy talk. He didn't fall back on any of that. He connected his religion, right? He talks about the, I follow the God of our ancestors, and he followed, he connects all of that stuff to this practical next step of service. Paul said, the real reason that I'm in Jerusalem is because I am for Jerusalem. I'm for the people, I had an offering that I wanted to bring to help the poor, the hurting. I wanted to worship God in spirit and in truth. That's the real reason that I am here. He kept it all about the service, not the religion, not following all these rules. He focused on the main thing. When you find yourself in the trial of your life, don't let your religion overpower your serve. That's simple code for keep it about the main thing. Keep it Jesus, remember why we do what we do. The story that Luther shared, that's why we give the offering. That's why we send the kids to camp. When you see a young person's life change so much, a teenager who shows up at six o'clock in the morning to set up coffee for you and me, if that's not life change, I don't know what life change looks like, right? Shows up on a weekend to set up because he's been changed. That is powerful. And this is what Paul is trying to illustrate in the middle of this sermon, like here. You you guys can keep all that religion stuff. Here's really why I was coming. So don't let your religion overpower your serve. Let's keep reading. Verse 18. My, This is Paul still talking. He says, my accusers saw me in the temple as I was completing a purification ceremony. There was no crowd and no rioting, but some Jews from the province of Asia were there, and they ought to be here to bring charges if they have anything against me. Now Paul's temper is getting a little bit hyped up. Ask these men what crime the Jewish high council found me guilty of, except for the one time I shouted out, I am on trial before you today because I believe in the resurrection of the dead. So Paul's getting a little amped now. He's talked about the service. Now he's bringing it back to I haven't caused any trouble except for that one time that I mentioned the resurrection and no one wanted to hear that truth. No one wanted to be bothered by that, and it caused a bunch of trouble. Here's the, a powerful thing about the truth and speaking the truth. The truth will set you free. Do you believe that? But first, it'll tick people off. The truth will set you free, but first, it's going to tick some people off. That's the lesson that we learn in this courtroom drama. Truth is powerful, but you better get ready for what's gonna come with that truth. When I was in elementary school, the truth set me free, but it got me uh, the butt whooping of my life. Uh, my brother Eddie and I, we were horse in our room, as brothers do, making a lot of noise. Racket, it was almost dinner time. My mom came in the room to yell at us, to tell us, you guys need to calm down, be quiet. You know, and we were still kinda horse while she was talking, so that didn't go over well. And she said, I'm, that, I'm not gonna buy you guys those bikes that I was gonna buy you because of how you're behaving. And we kind of got real quiet, and and so she left the room, and I turned to my brother, Eddie, and I whispered, I said, she was never going to buy us those bikes anyway. I was like 10 years old. And he told on me. He ratted me out. It was truth in my 10-year-old brain. Like, come on, Mom, you've been promising us bikes forever. You were never going to really. I'm not afraid of that threat. And this guy went and told on me, and I'm telling you, that was the whooping for all ages that I got. Because I offended my mother so bad. She probably wanted to end my life. If she could get away with it, she probably would have killed me and brought me back to life just to whoop me some more. Like, because she was so hurt and offended that I said there. Years later, I had the conversation with my mom. Why did you get so angry about that? Do you know why she got so angry? Because it was truth. Because I called her bluff. Because I played her. and So she was like, young man, you're not going to play me. I'm grown. So you're going to catch this butt whooping, and you're going to think twice. But years later, I was an adult and got to talk to her about that. The truth will set you free, but first, it'll tick some people off. Paul spoke a lot of truth, but look at what it cost him. Here's the cool thing, though, about speaking the truth, especially when you speak the truth in love. It's worth the price. It's worth it. At the end of the day, yes, Paul is getting in trouble. Yes, Paul is getting himself caught up. Yes, he's on trial for his life and all of that. Yes, by talking about the resurrection, he caused a riot, and they almost ripped him apart. He had to be saved by force, but it's still the truth, and someone has to still say it. Why not us? Why not us say it in love? We live in a culture where the loudest voice wins, regardless of whether that voice is right or not, and so what's powerful in Acts 24 is that, because God's presence is with Paul, he has this boldness to continue to speak the truth to power, even though he knows it might cost him something. So he keeps it real. He keeps it all about Jesus. More specifically, he keeps it about this resurrection. I'm on trial because I'm preaching in Jesus this saving power, this salvation, all that stuff. He knows that's what's getting him in trouble. But man, because God is with him, he's not afraid anymore to speak up for the truth. I know for some of you The honest truth is that you're in a mess because you have chosen to place other people first. You've chosen to do for someone else, and it's bit you in the behind, right? You've chosen to do the right thing, and it doesn't seem like the right thing is paying off. You're choosing to love hard. You're choosing to serve Jesus well, and you're choosing to be light in the darkness, and it's actually causing you a little bit of conflict, and I get that for some of you. For the rest of you, you're in the mess you're in because you just did something stupid. That's okay, because God's with you too. Aren't you glad God's with us in our stupid, right? God's with us in our mess. It's not the end of the world because we're not alone. Let's keep reading. At that point, verse 22, at that point, Felix, who was quite familiar with the way, this is the governor, Felix, he was quite familiar with the way. By the way, the way is, is a term that's used here for... Christianity, for Christians. This is kind of what they call themselves, the way. So he was quite familiar with the way. He adjourned the hearing and said, Wait until Lysias, the garrison commander, arrives. Then I will decide the case. He ordered an officer to keep Paul in custody, but to give him some freedom and to allow his friends to visit him and take care of his needs. And so Felix, the governor, is very aware of this Jesus stuff. He knows all about Jesus. He's heard about Jesus. And when he says he's familiar with the way, he was very familiar with the lifestyle of the early church. Did you know that in the first century church, when communities were, were stricken by plague and death and illness, the Christian community wouldn't leave? They would actually stay and serve the poor, and take care of the sick, even though the whole city would be evacuated because people didn't want to die of the plague. Guess who stayed behind and helped? It was the early church, the Christ followers. When people were poor, when people were hurting, they knew We can go to this sect. We can go to these Nazarenes, to the way, to these people who follow this Jesus of Nazareth. We can go to them, and they're going to serve us, and they're going to help us. So even this early in the infancy of the church, this Governor Felix, he's very familiar with what this Jesus stuff is all about. And I'm sure he was very familiar with the religious people and their games and what they were trying to pull. And yet he doesn't set Paul free even though I'm convinced he knew Paul hadn't really done anything, this wasn't worth all the trial. He doesn't set Paul free, but he keeps him locked up with some light privileges. So the first thing we learn, the fourth thing we learn from these lawyers and these crooks and these liars and these thieves is that it's easy to procrastinate when it comes to doing the right thing. It's very easy to act like we're doing the right thing, but we're really putting it off. This is a clearly illustrated in what Felix is doing. The right thing would have been to let Paul go, but he puts it off. "Ah, We'll wait for the garrison commander to come, and then then I'm going to decide the case. We'll put it off a little bit, put it down the road. At this point, Felix could have let Paul go. He knew this whole thing was much ado about nothing, but he took the comfortable way out. The comfortable way out was, let me... Keep Paul locked up so the Jews don't get mad. But let me let Paul's friends come to him so, so the Christians don't get mad. And I can kind of just hang out and see how this goes on. You know, this is impossible to sustain over the long term, trying to play both sides against each other. It's very easy to procrastinate when it comes to doing the right thing. Why? Because the right thing is messy. The right thing is often painful. The right thing is often costly, just like the truth. But it's still the right thing verse 24. A few days later, Felix came back with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish. Sending for Paul, they listened as he told them about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned with them about righteousness and self-control and the coming day of judgment, Felix became what? Frightened. Go away now, he replied. When it is what? More convenient, I'll call for you again. So not only is Felix procrastinating and doing the right thing, now Paul's coming to him with some consistency. He's hearing more truth. Remember, he already knew some truth. He said, I'm familiar with the way. So Paul's breaking it down to him. Could you imagine having a personal one-on-one chapel service with the Apostle Paul? Like, that's some good stuff, some good teaching. So Paul's breaking it down, hitting him with truth, talking to him about self-control, talking to him about the coming day of judgment. Don't those things get you guys fired up? Self-control and judgment, right? Isn't that our favorite subject? So he's hitting hitting Felix with some really hard truth. And Felix says, nope, that's enough. Time out. Get out of here. Fifth lesson that we learn is it's very easy to tell God to go away. It's very easy when we're hit with truth, when we're hit with tension. It's very easy to tell God to go away. I don't have time for you right now. I don't want to hear that right now. Parents of teenagers, we are very familiar with this conversation, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I got it. I got it. I know. I know. Uh Uh-huh. I know. I know. I know. We hear this all the time, and it's very easy. And Felix, he knows the truth. He knows what's going on in Paul. He knows the situation. And yet when Paul starts hitting them where it counts, he starts really hitting home these hard truths about God's coming, man. Self-control. Give your life to Jesus. All of a sudden, it becomes too much, and it's easy to say no to it. In all areas of life, we know that pain has a purpose, right? You touch a stove, you get burned. You get kicked in the head, learn how to duck, right? That's why it hurts when you get kicked in the head, just being honest. No pain, no gain. We know that, and all these areas, yet when it comes to the messy things in our life, when the pain of changing becomes too much to bear, often we do whatever we can do to get rid of the discomfort. Instead of leaning into the pain, leaning into that process that we're in, growing through that. Paul is getting too close for comfort in the life of Felix. So Felix realizes it's easier to tell God, go away. He plugged, put his fingers in his ear and said, ah, la, 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 I'm not listening. I don't want to hear that change the subject rather than deal with the realities of his problem, his need for Jesus. He even said, when it's more convenient, we'll come back. Verse 26, he also hoped that Paul would what? Bribe him. So he sent for him quite often and talked with him. Picture the situation. Here's the governor with a man in jail and he sends for him all the time to talk to him about God. And when things get uncomfortable, okay, go away. I'm done for now. Talk about a crazy game, right? Talk about this tension. Now, you, you might think of that and say, I, I don't understand what that has to do with me. Think of our own lives. How much do we hear God's truth? How much do we hear about the things we know. Man, this is going to help my life. This is going to help me follow Jesus better. And we get right to the edge. And instead of taking that step, it's easier to tell God, go away. And we change the subject. Come back when it's more convenient. Week after week after week after week, Paul encouraged and challenged, and he served Felix. Yeah, when things got tense, Felix said, okay, God, peace out. I'm done. Which leads to our sixth lesson we learned from all of these lawyers and crooks and liars and thieves. First, the sixth lesson, people are brought into our lives by God so that we can add value to their lives. We touched on this last week. We we're talking about the presence of our enemies. Sometimes our enemies can become our friends. Sometimes our friends can become what? Our enemies. Regardless of that, we got to trust that God is in control. Paul's in a sticky situation here in that the man who has them locked up Keeps sending for him to teach him and to talk to him. And so Paul just serves. He chooses to add value to Felix's life. Even crooks and lawyers and religious people, we could add, they can add value to our life, just like we learned last week. Paul didn't set out to go to jail. He didn't set out to get locked. Sure, he was arrested by Jesus and literally arrested by the Romans, yet all along the way, Paul continues to bring value to the people who are introduced to his life. How can I serve you? How can I be for you? So Paul gets put in jail. And he just becomes the pastor of the jail, right? Some of you are in prison at your job right now. What have you just started the church right where you are? I mean, you're already there. I'm just going to add value. I'm going to add the smile. I'm going to add the pleasant talk, the excellence, whatever it is that's missing in your circle of influence. I'm going to be that right where I am. And that's what Paul does. So much so, they can't get enough of the guy. They give him favor. They don't set him free, but they give him favor. They take care of him, and he enjoys relative comfort, as comfortable as you can be in a Roman jail. Verse 27, after two years went by this way, two years of being kind of in jail and kind of being the pastor to the governor. It says, after two years went by, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus, And because Felix wanted to gain favor with the Jewish people, what did he do? He left Paul in prison. So for two years, Paul enjoys this favor, this kind of limbo being locked up, but not really being locked up. And instead of doing the right thing, Felix continues to choose to compromise, so much so that a new guy takes over and Paul is still Locked up. But that's not the end of Paul's story. And that's what's exciting and leads us to the final lesson that we learn is that what people mean for evil, God uses for good. God uses for good. Of all the things in that concept for you to take away and underline in your heart and to remember, we need to focus on the word God and we need to focus on the word uses. God doesn't cause the evil, God doesn't mean the evil but he can still use what someone else meant for evil. He can use it for good. We can learn a lot of lessons, even from religious people and crooks and lawyers. And in this crazy situation, there's a lot of practical things that we can take and that we can apply in our life. The religious leaders of Paul's day, they meant to have him executed. They'd even tried a couple of times. They wanted him to shut up forever. Little did they know that God would do this jujitsu on them, on their plans take their energy and flip it around, and he would take Paul's imprisonment and use it to turn the world upside down. The Apostle Paul wrote most of the Christian scriptures, our New Testament, and a good chunk of that he wrote in jail, and what he didn't write when he was in jail, he wrote it on his way to jail, and what he didn't write on his way to jail, he wrote after he just got out of where? Jail. If it wasn't for prison, we wouldn't have a good chunk of our Bible. Isn't that something? Like God redeemed and used that time to turn the world upside down. Some of the most powerful truths in all of Scripture come from people who at one time were arrested, who at one time were locked up some of them without even a trial. They were arrested. They were locked up. They were hurt. I wish we had time to go through so many of these awesome stories. I'll I'll share one with you as as quickly as I can. In the first book of the whole Bible, Genesis, we find a story about a man named Joseph. And Joseph, uh, just a crazy, his life really did look like an episode of Law and Order, to be honest with you. He was the victim of a violent crime. The perpetrators got away with it at first. Then, after being trafficked as a human slave, he gets prom- promoted long enough to be falsely accused of sexual assault and he gets thrown back into prison. This is a true story, all in Genesis. Happens to a guy named Joseph. Eventually, God rescues Joseph. Joseph comes face to face with the people who attacked him. So the tables are turned. Joseph goes from being beaten up and put in prison and put in slavery and falsely accused to now he's in charge, he's the judge. I mean, imagine you're watching that episode of Law and Order, and you mean to tell me the dude that was falsely accused of selling crack, now he's the judge in the robe? Yep, that's what happens in Joseph's situation. And here's what Joseph said when he had his day in court, when he finally got to have justice served and he could make everything right. It's one of my most powerful passages in in all of the scripture. It's found in Genesis chapter 50. I'll read it to you, verse 19. It'll be on the screen. It says this, Don't be afraid of me. This is Joseph talking to the people who did him wrong. Don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. Even Joseph in that prison knew if I just stay and trust God, he knew eventually because God's presence was bigger than his problems that it would all work out, and it did. For Joseph, he knew that God's presence was bigger than his problems. Next week, we're going to see how in the Apostle Paul's life, this time in jail sets him up to save many lives. And in future series, we'll see where literally Paul saves many lives because of his time being in chains. Where are you at, though, in this story? Where are you at in your problem? What lessons are you learning in life right now from those enemies, from those, those lawyers and crooks. And, and, and sorry to keep saying crook after lawyer. No offense to our lawyers and, and the family. I got love for you. I got love for you, right? But what are you learning? What are you doing in the middle of your problem? Focusing on that problem or realizing, man, that God is with me. And even though this stinks, I can still add value to people's lives. I can still keep a Jesus. I can still keep it all about the truth what do you do? In the middle of your problem, three things I, I, I hope that you would do. First thing is this, in the middle of that junk, speak the truth. Speak the truth. The truth will set you free, but first, it's going to take some people off. Speak the truth anyway. And you can't speak truth that you do not know. So know the truth, then speak the truth. God's truth, a very practical step to take To get some truth into your life so you can start speaking to the lies so you can start seeing just life and your problems with better perspective is to spend time daily reading god's truth if you have a smartphone you can download the bible app Uversion app you can go on there they've got bible reading plans you can find people like me and you can connect with me there and you can read what i'm reading we can do shared reading plans together but it's a very systematic way to keep track to know it's not about checking a block It's not about checking a, yep, I read my Bible today block. It's deeper than that. So that when you're in the problem, you have the truth that you can draw on. So if you don't have the Bible app, I just challenge you today, download it. Well, I'm not a a digital person, an app person. Okay, then please take one of those free Bibles that we have outside of there. And I want to make sure I see you every Sunday carrying your Bible with you, right? Since you're not a digital person, right? Since that's not your thing, get into the truth. Get into God's word. So speak the truth. And then the hard part is living it out. So live the truth. This is tough, right? I heard some groans, right? Oh, you mean I got to live it? I just can't talk about it? Nope, you got to be about it. You just can't talk about the truth. Live the truth. So bare bones, what's the simplest way I can live out God's truth? You ready for it? Be for someone. It's not even go to church. It's not even pray every day. It's not even read the Bible every day. The simplest way I can live God's truth is to be for someone else, to love someone else just like God loves me, to forgive someone else just like God has forgiven me, to show mercy just like God has shown mercy to me. That's the bare bones, most basic next step I can take to live out God's truth. God so loved the world that he gave. So if I wanna be like God, I can start by giving giving of myself, my energy, my time, my love, my prayer. We complicate it, right, and think we got to do all this stuff and jump through all these hoops. Love and serve people, even in the middle of your junk, and it's the best way. Go today to Walmart, to Dollar General, wherever, and buy some school supplies and donate them. Drop them off at the church office or drop them off here next week, and it's a very easy way you can start living out some of this truth. There's other ways to it. We don't have time for that. That's a whole other sermon, right? But that's a very easy step. And then finally, I think some of you really need to hear this today. Trust the truth. You know the truth. You're already living the truth. You're loving people. But you really need to trust the truth. You're struggling right now because even though you know in your heart and in your head that God's got you and that he's for you, you are on the edge. And I feel you because I've been there. Let me encourage you. Trust the truth. Sing those songs, listen to that worship, re-listen to that message. Surround yourself with those people who are gonna speak life into your situation. Even though it looks terrible, trust God's truth, trust his truth. Life doesn't resolve itself in a 44 minute episode like on Law and Order. There's no easy solutions to our messy situations. However, God's presence is greater than our problems. It's a truth that I know has gotten me through, and I hope it's a truth that'll help you. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the power of your word. We love you, and I thank you that we can trust you with our junk. Regardless of the mess, God, regardless of what we find ourselves struggling with, we know that you are real. Help every single person in this room, God, to lean into that truth today. Whether it's starting to engage the, the Bible more or whether it's getting in community more, or whatever it is, taking a step to love and serve, just help them to not feel alone in the process. There's so many lessons you teach us, even with all these crazy cast of characters in this thing called life. Help us to, in humility, God, consider others' needs greater than our own. In humility, to remember that the universe doesn't revolve around us, and more than that, God, in humility to trust you, that you're with us, and that you are for us. If there's a person here, God, who's not yet said yes to you, God, let this be the moment, the day where they say, God, I'm tired of doing it on my own. Help me, save me, forgive me. And God, I know you do just that. You help, you save, you forgive. And I thank you for it. Help us to leave this place today, God, so full of confidence in your truth that we can't help but share it with people. We love you in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand with us? Let's sing one more.